Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Alyssa Rochelle. Rochelle is the vulnerability queen. She is a podcaster and the founder of Ting, a social enterprise for young creatives. She combines her experience of significant trauma in her childhood and her love for creativity to curate content that inspires people to begin their own healing process. Welcome to the show. Hello, hey. (laughs) How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Let's start off by getting into the story of your very first period. Can you share with us what happened? Yeah, so so I I just want to kind of like preface before I even start talking and just be like, I I my story of my first period story, I'm so happy that you asked me to be on this podcast because it has actually got me thinking about my period. And um I, yeah, just I want to put some trigger warnings in there. There's like a lot of stuff that might bring stuff up for other people. Um, yeah, so I'll just kind of say that before I start. So my my first period, I, I think I was about probably like year seven, maybe like 11, 12, around that type of age. And um, I remember being in my lesson and and being in like uncomfortable, like some t- something's happening and it's like a bellyache because obviously as a, as, a, as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is a bellyache. And then I remember um, at some point in the day going to the toilet and noticing that something was in my pants. And it wasn't red. It wasn't like blood red. It was like brown, weird, like kind of fell out. So I remember being really embarrassed and being like, I don't know, if I'm like, oh my God, have I shit myself type thing. Like, that's just the truth. I literally thought that I had. But then also being like, I definitely haven't, like, because I would have known that if I did. Um, but just not knowing what it was, it was, that there was no, I had no information as to kind of what was happening to my body. So so for the, <clears throat> for the, the, the next few days, it kept on happening. And I just kept on being confused and like washing my knickers at home and hiding them and then just going through that whole process. And that happened. And I had said nothing for about, I'd say about three, four months. And then it got to a point when I was like, something keeps happening to me and I'm not, I don't know what it is. And so like, just to kind of like, kind of come back and tell me about your first period. When I think about that, I think about how did I, how was I not prepared for that situation? So yeah, my first period was like, it was traumatic. And I suppose it was my first entry. No, it wasn't my first entry. I probably was very used to shame by then. But it was like a massive shameful thing for me because I was unaware of what was happening to my body. I was in a lot of pain. And um, and I wasn't speaking about it at all to anybody. So your friends hadn't had their periods yet or it was just that you just weren't having that conversation with your friends I think I think if we had spoken about periods at that point it wasn't like it's the same way like kids talk about sex it's like nobody knows what they're talking about you're just saying the words and kind of <laughs> trying to sound like an adult so <laughs> yeah. if, if somebody had said something about a period I probably just pretended I knew what was happening but I think there was I don't know like I probably need to like dig into this a little bit more or maybe not but I don't know why I never correlated the two like something maybe I didn't realize it was happening monthly 
it was mm. just happening randomly <laughs> do you know what I mean and yeah. so I didn't have enough information to kind of put the pieces together to figure out that it was it was my period so when did you figure out what was happening I think eventually I um I told my mom so my, myself and my mom didn't have a great relationship because she is extremely religious and extremely like conservative I suppose I would say like mm. it's not something that you speak about and eventually I spoke to her and she was just like that's your period why didn't you tell me and I was like I suppose just like how the hell how why did I not know that but also like how did you not prepare me to know that type thing so there's like a whole lot of stuff going on um so eventually when I told her, she kind of basically just gave me some sanitary towels and, and told me to get on with it. And then I think there was, once I realised what it was, it, the, I, don't, I don't know if the pain got worse at that moment, because I remember I was in pain before I knew what it was. But after I knew what it was, the pain became like, I don't know, like a big part of my period life. Like anybody that knows me knows that Michelle has very bad periods. Like I'm... I'm at times unable to walk not so much now um yeah lying down not going to work like a hot like it stops my life for like like I got to a point in my life where I was like planning four days off a month of doing nothing because I physically couldn't move um but I remember like because I suppose of her cultural stance and her religion it was very much so like you get on with it you do what you need to do like you don't get to be in pain you're a woman now type thing and so there's like a lot of negative programming around my period very early on. Mm. So you, this idea of just getting on with it, you, your mom gave you the sanitary towels, told you just to get on with it. And you took that message, even though you were in significant amounts of pain. So four days of pain a month where you plan to do nothing. That's 48 days a year. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, a month and a half of your year saying in pain. pain. And, you know, when I I hear, I talk about pain a lot with my clients and my, and the rest of my work and being able to put your pain in context like that and Mm. say, you know, at 48 days a year, you expect to be in a lot of pain. And the fact that you you have this and you've been you've internalized this message of oh I just need to get on with it it says a lot about our culture and Mm -hmm. how we've tried to normalize women's pain Mm -hmm. and I want to understand a little bit more about so you've said that things are a bit different now Mm -hmm. so what have you done to um, change the pain or change your expectations around the pain it's a good question I think um, I think it's also I think I have to say this point in order to kind of make my next point. So actually, after the after I started to have my period, I would probably say within like a year or six months, I started to then be sexually abused. And so I think that and that lasted a very long time. And I think that my because I'm I have more of a spiritual kind of like lens on life now. I think that the pain I was experiencing probably got a lot worse because of the trauma I was experiencing at the same time mm-hmm. um yeah I probably would I'd say I'd probably put money on the fact that it did and my body was reacting um and so now and, and my my period pains have only been I would say bearable like I've been able to 
I, I, I remember the last time I had to go home from work because of my period, it was last year. So that's that's quite a long time for me, like just to have that amount of time with like not being completely like on bed rest is a mm. really good time. So I would say in the last year or so, I've been able to um, do stuff like that I've actually planned to do, right? And I think it's because I realised how much trauma I had stored in my body. Mm-hmm. And I started to kind of like pay attention to it and do like exercises and be mindful of the fact that like, I suppose adapting some of your mentality around pain isn't normal. And maybe um, the pain is a residue of like, somebody said to me once, and I, I really hope that I can explain this in a way that people understand. She said to me, I was on a retreat and this was in 2018 and the retreat was from eight in the morning to like six at night right so we had had lunch and we were supposed to come back and do some activities I came on my period right and I'm a person I'm not extroverted I'm not a look at me type person but I was in so much pain I couldn't take part in the afternoon activities and they couldn't move on without me being in the room and so um one of the founders came upstairs and she said when you experience she came up with some magnesium to give me some magnesium but she's like when you experience trauma especially in that womb space she says everything in the in the universe expands and contracts that's how like things move expansion and contraction and the same for your womb and she said um it's possible that it's contracted so tightly that when it needs to expand for your period it struggles to do so mm. and it just gave me a different perspective because i had never you don't i i I just had never seen my body in that way or I never I was still working out how everything was interlinked mm. like everything is connected like everything and I'm still I'm still understanding that now because it still blows my mind how much one thing can really affect another and it, I just had this kind of image of like my womb just being so tightly held together like tightly constricted because of years of trauma in that space um and then all of the pain made so much sense then. I was like, well, of course, if, it, if, I, if I have to be on my period, my body needs to go through this process. And it's used to being, because I'm actually quite tight naturally as a result. Like I do hold a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I think since 2018, since I had that kind of realisation and I've been more mindful about how the body stores trauma, I think my periods have got better. I think I've started to eat better. I've started to move my body. I think just having an awareness has, has shifted for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, my periods are painful, 100%. Um, but I realise now, like where before, like I said, four days, I'm just, I can't move. Like I'm day three and I'm still screaming. Do you know what I mean? Now I reckon it's probably like one day of extreme pain, maybe a bit of pain the next day, half the day. Um, and then I'm okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not completely, I'm not pain free. Um, and there are still times where I take, I take Cocodamol like for the pain that I have um but it's nowhere near as bad as it as it was like 10 years ago that's interesting what you say about magnesium because I see this a lot with um some of the women I work with who have really severe period pain or who have things conditions such as endometriosis Mm -hmm. or adenomyosis where it's a contraction in their body and the pain it also it almost causes them to kind of hold in like tighten everything mm-hmm. and kind of they're do- so used to doubling over in pain or contracting themselves into a ball because you know when you're in a lot of pain you kind of all you want to do is lay down and I know this from my own experience mm-hmm. you want to lay down and you kind of just contract into that kind of um 
core, you're into that fetal position that can be so comforting, but that contraction is on a kind of scientific level. You're it's a, using a lot of cal- calcium in the body, mm, okay, and then magnesium. It helps. It's our relaxing mineral, so it helps release everything. Mm-hmm. So magnesium. I mean, I recommend it all the time. It's one of my mm. favorite supplements. But it's interesting that you've seen being able to identify that kind of contraction and having a tool like magnesium and other things you've been doing to release that has been so powerful mm-hmm. for you. Uh, I want to ask about um, the pain that you've been experiencing. Did you ever speak to anyone about it? Did you speak to a doctor? Yeah. So I have been, I've been to the doctors, but that's such a good question as well like like I think there's this thing about doctors not really paying attention very much to black women and pain Mm. um Mm. so that was my experience but I'm also very very desensitized to support and the system so I kind of just go in there knowing that you're this is awful but I'm just going to call it out I expect the bare minimum because I've been I'm used to receiving it if that makes sense especially when it comes to systems like education and and healthcare um and so I had kind of done my own research beforehand they never went through like I've never been tested for endo they've never like looked at it's just never been anything more than contraception here you go and so I was um very I didn't want to do beyond the pill or anything um Mm. I tried the pill once and I was so sick I remember the day I, I felt like I was um heaving like I felt like I wanted to vomit and my stomach because I, I have IBS as well like I've got like a bloated stomach situation it blew it came out really and it was really hard and I was like day one I was like I know you probably could try this for like seven days and it might get better but I'm not gonna do that and so the contraception that I decided that I would take was the patch the contraceptive mm. patch because mm-hmm. um it just wasn't internal and and it allowed my periods to kind of stop like or not stop less pain so when I so I did that and it worked um but then I just I don't know that I just wanted to be more natural mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I kind of just I the idea that like hormones I have like a weight issue as well like I gain weight quickly and I just I'm not on top of my health enough to kind of then add hormones in it's like I kind of know that like this is a slippery slope and I'd rather deal with the issue. So I've, I stopped using the patch probably around the same kind of time, 2018, um, after quite a few years of doing it. Um, and yeah, that was that's basically all the doctors have ever kind of like offered me. It's never been more of a conversation around other things. But I do have friends that have endo and they've had to, sorry, they've had to fight um, mm. to be taken seriously about the pain that they're experiencing. And I do, and I have wondered sometimes for that, it could be something more serious. Like people mm-hmm. say, oh, maybe, because I have the bloating, maybe you have PCOS or maybe you have, maybe you have. Um, and I'm also very aware that like the, the, the I have to call it out and say what it is. I'm like, I'm on a journey. This is why I call myself the vulnerability queen. For me, it's a process. Like I, I know that I have to get to a process where I prioritize myself enough to kind of like kick down the doors and the doctors. But when, just to kind of like connect that again to my like upbringing, I wasn't really taught that your kind of needs matter, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. In, the, in Just to kind of go back to the example of my mum just being like, oh, here you go, here's some pads, get on with it. And so like, I think there's definitely a remnant of that 
kind of thought process and programming when it comes to my own needs even mm-hmm. today and yeah. this is something that I'm continuously working on so you know um maybe in the future I will go to the doctors if I can't fix it myself I'll go to the doctors and I'll probably get tested for something um I, I don't know what it could be but I know that there's something now right there <laughs> I, I would really encourage you to explore that because mm-hmm. you know the pain that you you are experiencing isn't normal and I really wouldn't I don't want you to continue to live like this you know mm-hmm. that you, everything you're saying is like ticking off certain boxes in my mind okay. and I don't want to do the whole thing <laughs> like you're not one of my clients and I don't want to <laughs> go down <laughs> this is a process, so I'm not gonna go down that uh-huh. I would really encourage you to speak to a healthcare professional mm. and explore what t- options are available for you for testing because there's so much there, um, mm. and it's it is part of that journey of of you knowing that your needs matter. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you about you know the that that whole idea of growing up and seeing. hearing this programming of well your needs don't matter your needs don't matter talk about how you started to understand that your needs do matter and what you've been doing to explore that and reinforce that message to yourself so that retreat that I went on in 2018 it's called the bridge the bridge retreat um yeah if you anyone wants to search that up on Instagram the bridge retreat they're amazing and um, it's all about grieving like things that have happened to you. So it could be anything. It could be the fact that you, I don't know, your house burnt down when you were trying and you lost absolutely everything. Or it just could literally, like we, 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 we don't grieve and that's the problem. That like, we're not naturally like, or society doesn't allow us to grieve in the way that we should be. Um, so in that I understood, like just kind of telling my story and, and having a space for me to be heard, how much I hadn't been heard. Mm. um up until that point and that was just that I mean this is two years ago (laughs) do you know what I mean Mm. I think it was a bit of a light bulb for me like oh wow like I have been ignoring my needs and I've been in service to other people because my job is always in service I help people I support people that's what I do and so kind of like looking at my codependency and all the things that have come out of the need of me not knowing what my needs are um so the first thing was to kind of get really still and, and ask myself, like, what do you need? Like, what are your needs? Which is a wild question. Mm. If you if you have, if you don't, like, when you realise you don't know the answer to that question, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't, it's like a big, like, bum drop. So you're like, how the hell could I not answer that question for myself? Um, and I'm still learning how to answer that question. I, I ask my question, I ask myself that question consistently now. Like, what do you need in this moment? And you can start off with something like, you're dehydrated, you need water. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, drink, because, because you need the water and, 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 your, and your programming um, would naturally tell you to complete a million different tasks for other people before you drink that water. But as you know, you need that or you need sleep now, or you need rest because you're tired and you've done enough for today, or or you need to be seen in your relationship by your partner in a way that they haven't seen you because you've not said that you need to be seen in this way. Do you know what I mean? So I, it, mm. I think it's just like a, it was many different ways of identifying what I needed for me to kind of start 
feeling like my needs are worthy. And then, because I, I think another thing as well is that there's, I just think the way in which society is formed is so like detrimental to people. Like, because this whole thing about ego, I mean, there's a, there are massive conversations around ego. But mm. I think when it comes to kind of like people being really firm in who they are and what they need, um, it can come off as quite abrasive to other people. And so I think as women as well, you're consistently like, oh, no, I'm okay. Oh, no, I'm okay. Oh, no, I'm okay. And it's because you just don't want to be this abrasive kind of like egotistical person. And also being a black woman, you don't want to be aggressive or whatever that, all of the things that they put on you. Quote, quote unquote, <laughs> aggressive. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, so I think like figuring out your needs and then voicing them is a task in itself. And then... For, especially for people that are from similar backgrounds for me, but then doing that and knowing the way in which society kind of sees black women and the way we're seen as like, once again, aggressive, um, attitude problems, like, I don't know, we're a lot. I mean, it's just mm. like, <laughs> that you have to grapple both of those things at the same time. Mm. Um, yeah, it, 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 it becomes political, like when you just want to be healing, like, and you just want to be yeah. working out, like, who you are and how to be so you're, you're like now navigating these identity politics at the same time it's just it's just a thing um and so yeah I think just kind of identifying my needs and working out what they were was just a series of me asking myself questions on a daily basis what do you need right now what do you need right now on a very simple level like water but then like on a more um a deeper level when it comes to the the part I play in relationships with people I'm getting really real with myself about how I do too much for other people and why, why I do too much and what does that take me away from doing for myself? So mm. it's an, it's a journey, it's like an ongoing journey. And, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's just a long journey. What do you think about the, the idea of the strong black woman and how do you think this plays into, um, this, this idea that, um, we, as women we tend to um put our needs second and we, I think that's the kind of thing that a lot of women do but as this idea of a strong black woman you you feel like you you can't show vulnerability you have to be so-called strong all the time because the your you know, loads of people are standing on your back trying to get ahead what do you think about that I think um the strong black woman like stereotype is mad interesting because like what you said is like the strong the woman the black woman is quote unquote strong because she puts everyone else's needs first is that strength <laughs> like hmm. is that strength and it's like why is that stereotype being perpetuated so strongly you know like because hmm. it's it's like the black women I know are strong that let's if I talk generationally when I think about the elder women that I'm aware um aware of or in my family they're very much so women that do carry their families on their backs for example oh. is that is that strength because I would have preferred to see a strength of a woman that put herself first but then like I say it gets it gets political when we start thinking about the reasons why black women have had to play those roles mm. you know mm-hmm. um and the fact that black men you know were out of but especially in America it's hard it's I need to learn more about the way in which the family structure was affected by systemic racism in the in the UK. But I know within America, like the men were like taken out of the houses. Mm. Um, 
and obviously you've got mass incarceration and other things. There's so many things playing into kind of like why women have to become these strong. But I think it's strong by default. Mm. So especially like, um, I went on a little site, like a, a commercial break. I went on a date once um, with this white guy <laughs> from a dating app. Mm. Don't, like, I was just like, let me just try. Let me just try something different, right? And, and I realised at that moment, I was like, okay, this is not, I can't do this because I sat with him and we were talking and he said that he loves black women because we're strong. And I felt fire in my chest mm. when he said that. Mm-hmm. I love black women because they're strong. And I was like, do you know why we have to be strong? Like, like <laughs> I was like, I was like, you can't, like, this is not, it's not, what is that? Like, what is that? And this was ages ago before I kind of, I suppose, had the the vocab to really understand it myself. But the idea that like black women are seen as martyrs that carry everybody and everything and, and, and forsake themselves is not strength to me. Mm. And and I hate that it's romanticized and, and fetishized yeah. in a way and kind of like um it doesn't allow for softness. Yeah. And and say what you want about me. I'm very, very formidable. I'm like, I've got this like energy and people think that I'm strong and whatever else. I want to be soft too. Mm. And I don't want to be around people that don't allow me to be soft because I'm a strong black. I've had exes that have said that, oh, you're, you're so intelligent. You're so strong. And I'm just like, this is where the relationship ends. Cause I just don't like, I am also quite zero tolerance, but I'm very much so just like, you need to be able to see beneath that. Mm. So I think I think it's damaging, but I think that this I think that the strength um, stereotype comes from a need to su- to support a family because society has failed the black family for a very long time. Mm. That's basically that. And if the, if society wasn't failing black families, then the strong black woman wouldn't need to exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you, your, your story about the date reminds me of this scene. It, have you read Queenie? By, I haven't. Uh, no, I haven't read oh, it. Oh, oh, it's a, it, it's a must read. It's so good. Okay. She, there's a scene in it that's similar to the way that your date went. Went. She goes on this dating app. She meets this guy, and then he talks about how he loves black women and he loves strong black women, and it just kind of the date just kind of descends into chaos yeah, from there. Exactly. <laughs> it's not great. It's not, yeah. it's not a good start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that it's dam- it's damaging and it leads to this idea that, that we can't be soft. And you also, and it's damaging internally because you feel like you can't be vulnerable um, because mm-hmm. people are expecting so much for, from you. And it's certainly... Mm-hmm an issue that I've had in my life, you know, this idea that you have to be strong, you have to be strong. So mm. many people are depending on you. But this leads into then what I want to ask you about, you call yourself the vulnerability queen. Tell me why, Tell you talked a little bit about that in the beginning of the podcast, but just tell me where where this comes from, the vulnerability queen. So I started a podcast called One of the Podcast in 2017. And the, and it came about because, like I said, my job, I've always been in service. Like I work with people, um, young people especially. And the role that I had at the time was um, head of pastoral in a school. So I was mm-hmm. like looking after the needs of the whole school, right? Um, 
and that job was a, like a culmination of all of the jobs I had done that were similar up until that point. So my job has always been everybody else's name. And what was happening is I was kind of hearing a lot of stories about people's, you know, traumas and stuff. And I was realizing that I was hearing the same things over and over again. Um, and that we were all going through the same things and shame stopped us from like experiencing those things. Um, shame stopped us from like sharing those things with other people because you didn't want to I suppose feel embarrassed about the things that you're going through so that was like that was like one point that was like the reason why I started the podcast but then I reflected on my own experience with vulnerability um and the way how much I was raised to like not have any vulnerability at all like you do not speak on things that can make you to be seen like and I'm talking at an extreme level like I feel like when I think about my mom and, and even the way how she conducts herself now I'm just like it's really sad that nobody like she doesn't let anyone in to her mm. her, her person and it's that shame and it's that guilt that stops her from being vulnerable and so for me I was like nope no ma'am I'm not gonna do that I'm going to um lean into my vulnerability and encourage other people to do so too specifically people that look like me that are from places that are similar to where I'm from Mm -hmm. because shame eats us up so much so much more and 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 you know I think it's easy I think it's fair to say that it eats black people up way more because outside of kind of like the internal shame from your community you're dealing with the racism externally and how that shame can manifest in other places um in your work life in your education in like do you know what I mean it's like you're you're managing so many you're spinning so many plates and it's and it's killing us because we know that stress turns into sickness do you know what I mean and so for me vulnerability is I think where it's like you get to kind of release things that you shouldn't be carrying um and free yourself of holding something that isn't yours um and by no means am I like Brede Brown <laughs> or some type of like guru. Like I'm figuring this out, but I kind of want to. I want to call it a thing. Like I want to say that I am. I am consciously and intentionally um, working in vulnerability on a daily basis to support other people to kind of do so. So like by by actually modelling that mm. to me is really important. And I've had to find. Just to be like really honest, I've had to find some balance with that because when you're coming from trauma, initially when you think about vulnerability, it's like I'm going to tell the world everything about me and everything that's happened to me, and it's going to be some type of oil spill of trauma everywhere, mm. right? Because yeah. initially, initially, that's what vulnerability is like when you first step into it, and and on the healing journey, it's like I'm like, oh no, like I don't have to. Sh- say all of the things but I can still get to model vulnerability in a different way so I've had to kind of like on a vulnerability spectrum like figure out like where's the safe space for me to kind of do the work that I know that I'm I'm here to do but in a safe way for me um and that's just I suppose something I've been able to kind of like pick up on and develop via therapy and stuff but yeah that's my thing my thing is modeling vulnerability um and, you know, and, and it makes me think I had one of my ex-students DM me 
about a couple of days ago I was just talking about the things that she's been experiencing and, and the books that she's been reading and how she likes my Instagram and stuff like that and I'm like imagine like an 18 year old black girl from South London is reading Louise Hay like who would have like it's stereotypically not what you would put together but she's mm. able to kind of like see the types of things that I'm posting and kind of apply these things to her own life and her own personal healing journey. And like, mm. that's, that's the kind of, I, that's the kind of, that's how I kind of want to, that's what I want to do. Yeah. It, it's hard to be vulnerable and it's hard mm. to, I love how you said that there's a spectrum to vulnerability um, because I think that a lot of people think that to be vulnerable you have to completely open yourself up. And mm. if you're used to holding things to your, for yourself and having um, everything internalized for so long, the idea of even opening up a little bit is really, is really frightening. But I want to ask, that spectrum of vulnerability that you mentioned, how can someone who is listening to this I'm thinking I connect with that. I connect with that need to be more open, to be more vulnerable. And vulnerability isn't a bad thing. How can they start on this journey? I'd say journaling. Mm. I was thinking like of some big answer and I was like, no, there's no big answer. I think journaling for me has really um, helps me to, to tap into those kind of feelings that I don't want to say out loud to everybody. Um, so sometimes I'll just be, I, I, there's journaling, there's the journaling that you're encouraged to do at night and when you wake up in the morning, there's that. And that should definitely be done. Like I think it's important to, to do that before you go to sleep and, and when you wake up in the morning. But there's, for me, I've caught some of my best, like, vulnerable, I say best vulnerable moments, like that there's some type of, like, race. So what's the best? When, like, in the middle of the day, when something just bubbles up and it just comes out, and I'm like, whoa. And it almost brings me to tears. Um, and then I write it down. Because mm. that needs to, it needs to leave. I find that, I think giving the vulnerability a space is important. Mm. So... Um, when you're having a moment where you're feeling vulnerable and it's come out of nowhere, for example, um, society's programming will have you bury it and put it back down. And I'm like, create a table for it. <laughs> like, let's put it on an altar. Like, what is going on? Like, the, like, a, like you would serve dinner and like a table that's set. Like, let's bring that to the table. Do you know what I mean? Um, what is that about? Write it down. You don't need to know what it's about right now. Mm. But... But I think it's important to pay attention. And, I, and like the ritual of paying attention for me is writing it down. Mm. I think people can start there. Okay. Um, I would also encourage, I find friendship really interesting because I have had the most phenomenal friends in my life. People that I can, I can speak to about anything, right? And I am more mindful now that a lot of people do not have that. And a lot of people have really superficial friendships. And that, to me, makes me feel claustrophobic. Like, how do you not get to share a part of who you are? So I would say if you're in a friendship circle and you don't feel like you get to into that part of you that is seen and heard, then make a new friend. Like, put yourself out there. And and I'm also really starting to get into manifestation. So I'm very much just so like, oh, I, I need somebody who I can be friends with and be myself with. Write that down call it in 
and then go out to new places and meet someone that you, that can be your friend in that way because it's important that outside of yourself that other people are able to hold space for you too in a, in a way it's kind of like validation of who you are because we're not islands are we as people like we feel all of the things that we feel but it's incredible to be supported by someone else mm. you know if you don't have that in family I don't it has been, become my friend um and if it's not your friend it's your partner you know but I think it's important mm. to to have someone I think it's important to take inventory of who is in your life and who is actually able to show up for you. And if there isn't anyone you can identify, call someone else in. Like you yeah. have to, like you have to be, you have like, for me, that's a non-negotiable. You have to have people around you that are, that allow you to be your complete self. Yeah. You, it's interesting. You talk about, you talked about journaling and then you talk about um, how you relate and how you're vulnerable to others. And this idea, it's like two types of vulnerability. It's, Mm. being vulnerable to yourself mm-hmm. and acknowledging how you feel and really going there and going deep into mm. certain thoughts and feelings and then also allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable with others and finding that that support network I think mm. those two areas are really interesting and really powerful and give people a good starting point so journaling is something that anyone can do you can do it on your phone you can get a book you know a bit of paper mm. doesn't matter but just even writing a couple of words down and then thinking about those words is really powerful so i mm. love i love those two options that you you gave there um i want to talk more about your work um so tell us about your your business the social enterprise ting yeah so like I said, I've worked with these people for a really long time. And um, in 2008, 2018 was a really pivotal year for me. I keep saying it, don't I? Yeah. I need yeah. to look at my um, like chart, my solar chart or something and see what was happening there. Um, okay, so I left education that year um, because it became too much once again. Like we don't get to separate identities. And as a black woman working in majority white spaces, it was way too much for me. Um, and supporting black students at the same time. So I was kind of being asked to support these kids and then <laughs> fighting for my own kind of like humanity. And I, it's like, I, I, could, I could no longer do both things. So yeah. I left um, and I went to work within the creative industries, um, supporting young people to get mentors within the creative industries and realized that, um, and realised that the issue that I faced in education existed outside too. So spaces weren't safe for black and brown people. Um, there was a lot of opportunities created for marginalised groups in terms of like, here's an internship programme and here's a mentor or here's some funding. And it was kind of like plasters on wounds. Like, let's just give them something so we feel good. This whole benevolence. Um, and I was just like, this doesn't feel right because... I've spent, I'd say, the best, the best part of the last four or five years hooking young people up with the most phenomenal opportunities, but also having conversations with them about their ability to access those opportunities. So, for example, their family is being made evicted and they've just got this mentor and they really want to make use of the opportunity, but they're unable to do so because of life and the, the similar things that are coming up over and over again. Mental health is a big thing that comes up. Um, not having 
jobs for young people massive and how that's affecting their mental health and so I'm having those conversations way more and I'm realizing that my job title wasn't paying me to kind of like deal with that kind of pastoral stuff but I was just doing it and realizing that if we could kind of put some support in place for that and kind of an equity piece that allows these young black and brown people to access these opportunities and then thrive then that's like a that's a big piece of work that could literally change a lot <laughs> does that make sense mm-hmm. the way in which the industry is because like you know everyone talks about retention and recruitment and we need to be more diverse and it's kind of like like I just I want to get into the nitty-gritty of the reasons why and I just didn't feel like anybody else saw and and to be fair my jobs and my life experience have allowed me to see things in ways that people can't so it's not like me throwing shame on the industry it's more me being like let me take my lens and what I know to be sure and do something so so Ting is essentially a personal and professional development service for companies and young people and so with companies that might look like I'm going to come in I've had conversations with companies that have internship programs that are just like oh yeah our director gets an email and then we just kind of find the two weeks for someone like there's no there's there's there's, there's, that's nepotism first of all Mm. like do you know what I mean like that's not going to support with your diversity like there's so much going on there and it's like okay I can come in and help you to develop that internship program and create like an internship scheme that allows you to kind of get into more diverse communities because I have access there and then I can work with the young people to prepare them to go into your space Hmm. because they need to know they need to have resilience to be in that space but you also need to be a safe space to receive them and know what you're both kind of working with so so that's what I'm saying my life has kind of allowed me to see things on both sides and so Hmm. Ting is that we provide the personal and professional for companies and personal and professional for young people and it's at the beginning stages and so I'm kind of at the stage now just kind of like starting founding like a new entrepreneur I'll say figuring out like the best ways in which to kind of get this done it's super new but I'm I feel like it's I think it's going to be really good (laughs) Yeah, I think it's incredible. What a, what an amazing idea because you're right, these companies have these diversity programs, these internships, but it's kind of like it's this idea that you the the young people going in, they need to be prepared to code switch and they need to yeah. know what the code is that they're switching to. It's like I think I used to work in advertising for a long time mm-hmm. and I this example that always sticks in my mind is young people from various backgrounds coming in and it's the sushi with clients example mm. you need to tell them that they need to learn how to use chopsticks and that they might have sushi with clients and some people or they've never had that in their life they have no idea that how to use chopsticks and kind of need to have that conversation with them and there's a million other examples yeah but I really love that the work it's that the, you're doing it's, it's the cultural capital it's like they're not coming to the table like you said with the same utensils that everybody else has because mm. if you think about the advertising is extremely middle class and extremely white and if you think about a lot of these young people that work in advertising it's very likely that they've had dinner parties with other people that work in advertising when they were like 12 (laughs) do you know what I mean and they've been in conversations about things and pitches and brands and stuff and like 
like who that I didn't know anything about that until two years ago do you see what I'm saying so I'm yeah. that person who had to learn how to eat with chopsticks yeah. really quickly because I had to be able to kind of um understand it and explain it to younger people yeah. that were coming in um and I think I've just got to a place I suppose once again going back to the beginning of this conversation about needs and worthiness like I've I've I'm starting to kind of understand that I am the best person to do this job like and like I don't get to opt out of that because of my own I don't know lack of self things that I've had growing up it's like oh no this is time to step into who you are now and in spite of everything it's like no this is this is what it is that you need to be doing at least for now and it requires you to show up in full health so you're right I do need to check out my my period situation and <laughs> um, I need to look at a lot of things because I yeah when you get to a point where you've been doing the work whatever the work looks like for you and you and you are at a place of like oh this could turn for me this actualization it could turn for me you have to know that you have to step into that with firing on all cylinders mm. you know operating on your best health hydrated <laughs> well slept like it's the only way because the truth is this I can be I can be um as ambitious and romanticize this new thing that I'm about to do all I want but if I'm not healthy it's not going to work and the and the young people that I want to support are not going to get the support so there's Mm. there's no there's no there should be no trophies for martyrdom (laughs) and I think I think that this is why this is the the programming and and the I'm doing the vulnerability for me it's very much so just like I've been taught I've seen a million times so many women from my community have been martyrs so many because they didn't know any better and I don't and for me it's like I I definitely have been a martyr for so long and now I'm like I don't want to do that no more like, luckily I'm still alive <laughs> and I still have my um my faculties in place and I still have I'm still young enough to kind of switch it around and so I think that yeah there's definitely a strong call to being like okay now we need to kind of you know get our health together and really start into the next the next phase of my life. Hmm. So to round up the conversation someone if someone's listening and they you want them to take one thing away from all the amazing things that you've said what would you want that to be? hold space for yourself I haven't said that explicitly but I think throughout the whole conversation there's been examples of me holding space for myself and not all the time did I action anything because I didn't have the tools to action um but I suppose even when I was 11 like having my period like four months before I even said anything I was I was present and something was happening um, and eventually actioned it. And I just think that if you can hold space with yourself and be honest about how you're feeling, good and bad, um, and call a thing a thing, like this is not, it's not something that should be ignored. Like do not ignore what you're feeling. Um, hold space for yourself. Do not ignore what you're feeling. Write it down and speak about it to someone that you trust. Mm. And that and that is on everything like anything like there's nothing too small or too big like literally anything is so important thank you so much I think that's so powerful where can listeners find out more about you you can follow me on instagram at Alyssa Rochelle that's a double l y s a r o c h e double l e 
Um, I'm quite active on Instagram. So if you follow me there, then you'll find links to everything else I do. Great. And all of your links will be in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's allowed me to tap into like a different part of my experience. Um, so thank you so much. It's amazing. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.